Thanks for joining us at Summit Church. No matter where you are at on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are excited to share God's word with you through this week's message. Hey, we've been having a fun time last week or two having a conversation, asking ourselves a question such as, who am I? But even more importantly, who do I want to be in, in 60 months or five years from now? And what would that look like? if I was perhaps different than I am now. There's old Chinese proverbs that said, every journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. That's good to know. It's encouraging in one aspect, but it's also scary in another aspect because if you take the step in the wrong direction, guess what? You're further away from your thousand mile journey with that each step than you were before. So it's important that you take the right steps on your 1,000-mile journey in the right direction. I want to ask this morning, and I actually want to inspire you, and I want to speak into your life and challenge you, as we did a little bit last week, and again we will do today, to be transformed, to believe the Lord to transform your life. I want to inspire you to become someone in the next 60 months that you don't even recognize in five years. That not just physically, I'm talking, but I mean, you look at yourself and you go, whoa, whoa, I can't believe I'm, I was ever that person. I want to encourage you and challenge you to be someone you've only thought possible in your wildest dreams to be, perhaps even didn't ever dream that that could even be possible. I want to challenge you to be someone that's smarter than you are now, someone that's wiser than you are now. I want to challenge you to be someone who's healthier than you are now. And I'll just say it, someone is better looking than you are right now. Come on now. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Come on. No one said amen to that, but I'll just come on. But someone that's even more importantly closer to God than you are now. And someone who is kinder uh, to your spouse or to your children or someone that's more loving to uh, those that you call your friends or coworkers, more patient and more uh, generous. And, and, and maybe if you're a young person, someone who's more honoring to your parents than you are now. All the parents said amen to that. And someone that's just not who you are at this moment in life. However, to become that, we have to have something to measure that to. And that brings us to the most important individual that's ever walked the earth, and that is Jesus Christ himself. He becomes and has been for a long time now a prototype of what every single one of us needs to be in our life. The way he walked, the way he talked, the way he thought, the way he interacted with people around him, the way he looked and viewed things going on in his world are all things that we can look at and go, you know what, that's exactly what I need to be. What's the most important, though, about Jesus is that even young in his life, he literally had this desire to become something that God could use. We know that Jesus came from heaven, came from the Father's presence, and descended into the earth and became a man. And when we were, we're excited about that. We rejoice about that, celebrate that at Christmas time. 
But the, but the challenge for him was in order to do that, he had to lay aside every divine attribute that he'd ever had for eons of time, and he had to lay it to the side in order to become like us. In other words, he had to lay aside the attribute of no longer being omnipotent or all-powerful. He had to lay aside the attribute of being all-knowing, omniscient. And he had to lay aside the attribute of being omnipresent, being everywhere at once, all attributes of, of God. And he had to put that to the side and he had to descend into the earth and become like us. Why? In order to give us an opportunity to believe that we too could become as him. Isn't that why? I mean, he didn't just come to save us and rescue us and so somehow, some way we can just slide into this place called heaven. No, he, he came to literally change the way we live and think and move in the earth now and not just change us, but to begin to move into us with such power that everywhere we go, we make this incredible impact in the world that we're in now. In the nasty now and now, not the sweet by and by, as someone once said. And so Jesus had to grow, and he had to learn how to become himself transformed like everybody else has to. And so we find him where? At the age of 12, in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, the Bible telling us that Jesus grew in wisdom, and he grew in stature, and he grew. Everybody say grow. He grew in favor with man. Jesus was not stagnant. Jesus was not just kind of at this place and he just remained there. Every step of his life, every day of his life, every moment of his life was taking him on a trajectory, a trajectory that would take him closer and closer to the presence of God, which he had come from. But now he's showing us how to do the same. He, he was growing in his relationship with man and with God and with himself. My question to you this morning, are you growing in your own life, spiritually I'm talking about, are you growing or are you just kind of maintaining? Are you just kind of stagnant? Are you just kind of hanging in there? Jesus is in the temple at the age of 12 years old. When they called the whole nation to come together, it was a great celebration time. Relatives enjoyed these celebrations, these three major celebrations that they always held at Jerusalem. And Jesus is there at this time, and there are no doubt the relatives are there, and they're hanging out, and they're uh, visiting. And it's like a big national reunion all at once in, in Jerusalem, and Jesus is there. But, but his parents just kind of basically, obviously, just kind of, oh, okay, Jesus, we'll see you, you know, and in a few days before we leave, you know, just, you know, be careful. And, and, uh, and so Jesus was no doubt gone. They probably thought he was with his cousins or friends playing, you know, Jewish rugby outside, you know, the city gates or, you know, doing what Jewish kids do that time, you know, um, playing pin the tail on the donkey or whatever they do. Uh, I don't know. And, and, but, but no, not Jesus. You would think at 12 years old, perhaps he would be down at the Pool of Shalom, you know, dipping in the water, having fun, you know, playing water games with his friends. But no, not Jesus. Jesus was different than his friends. He, he made a decision early on in life. Listen to me, young people. He made a decision early on in life that the most important, valuable thing that he could do would be to grow in his knowledge and understanding who God is. Even though 
he came from there. God, he was like in a wiped clean slate. He had, he had to grow into this whole new relationship with God like we have to. And so the Bible says he's found in this, in this, in this temple at the age of 12, and he's, and, he's, and he's hungering to understand the way men think and why they look at God the way they look at God. He, he's trying, he's asking the most learned intellectual men of his hour questions that would even confound them. And he was at 12 years old, he's on the front row, and he's, God has pulls a scroll out of his robe, you know, he's got, I got a question here for you, sir, rabbi. And he asked him this question. They're like, oh man, let's get together. Who is this kid? And what, where they, he's asking some hard, hard questions. What do y'all think? What are you thinking? And they're, all, and they're all scratching their heads, but Jesus is just salivating with this hunger to know more and more. He's like, an, he had an unquenchable appetite, even at the age of 12. And when everybody was packing up to go home, he was still there showing up at the temple, mom and dad, three days. What a, and that encourages me as a parent. Come on, three days later, after they left the city, they're like, hey, Joseph, where's Jesus? He's like, I thought he was with you. Where's God? Well, I don't have Jesus. I thought you had Jesus. I don't have Jesus. Where? Three days goes by, they, they don't even know where their son's at. <laughs> they go back to Jerusalem looking all over. Finally, they find him still the same place in the temple, asking questions, hungry. I got to know more. I must know more. I must seek. I must understand. I must find truth. Truth's got to make sense. He's hungering to become something that he knows deep in his heart he can become. Do you have a hunger in your heart to know the God that's inside of you the way Jesus did? Do you ask God for a supernatural hunger? I think we should pray and ask the Lord for a supernatural hunger. Well, we should pray that prayer on a consistent basis. God, increase my appetite. Look, you know someone's sick when they're not eating. I'll tell you right now, I'm not sick. By any stretch of the imagination, neither Pastor Ravi, we're not sick. We're... But when someone's sick, when someone's dying, they stop eating, there must be this prayer constantly coming deep from within our spirit. Oh God, I hunger, I hunger. And even our prayer, as Jesus admonished, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be right with God, for they will be filled. Is there a hunger stirring within you that you didn't have a few weeks ago or a few months ago? Is there something? Something kind of erupting down deep in the soul of your spirit or where you're thinking to yourself, I, I, I got to know more of God. I, I got to be in his presence more. I got to read more. I got to understand more. I, I don't want to be here in 60 months. I want to be transformed. I want to hunger. I, I want to ask God, help me. I think it's okay to ask God for a spiritual hunger. I think he, he smiles at that prayer. I was 10 years old. I'd come home from school. I'd gotten saved at the age of eight years old. Uh, we were going to a church, and life was good as far as I knew. And I came home, and while I was at school, my mom had been doing housework, and, 
And while she was doing housework, she just got authentic and real with God. I'm telling you, you can, you can walk, it's possible to walk with God your whole life and never be real with Him. It is possible. In fact, millions of people do it all the time, and they call it religion. And, but when you have a relationship, when there's something deep inside of you that says, there's got to be more, and that's what my mother, at the, when I was 10, she prayed, she cried out to God. She was just a young mother herself, and she cried out to God, and she got on her face. She never knew you could even pray on your face. She, you know, she, she didn't know that, but, but she just put her vacuum cleaner aside. She got on her face in her bedroom, and she cried out. She says, God, God, if there's more of you, there's got to be more because you're a big God. I don't know what is more, but if there's more, oh, God, I want more. Mm. And God filled that little room with more. We didn't know it then, didn't know, understand it then, but the Holy Spirit came, filled her. I came home at the age of 10 years old, saw her in the bedroom on her knees. She's on her knees now at this time, up next to the bed. I said, Mom, are you all right? She looked up. She had tears coming down her cheeks. So what in the world's going on? I stepped across that threshold. When I stepped across that threshold, the power of God hit me, and I hit my knees. When you say the power of God, what does that mean? All I can tell you, it was like waves of love. It's like, like a 90-foot wave of love just came and just went. And I, my knees buckled. And I hit my knees. And I said, well, what's going on? I'm in the fifth grade. And she said, I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. I know I asked for more of God. And he's filled me with more. I said, I want that. We would later understand it was called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what that was. It transformed my life. And I'm thankful that I had a mom that hungered for more of God. Some of your parents here have children. The greatest blessing you could ever be for them but to carry a life and a heart that says, I want more of God. Amen. Your child may never become what they could be if you don't hunger from God for God. Mm. Some of you young people, your whole future lies in the balance of you simply crying out and said, I want more of God. I want more of God. Mm. In fact, I just want to do that right now. Can we just bow our heads just for a second? Just close our eyes. Father, we just ask you fill us with more. You're big. You're huge. You're, you made the world. You hung it in the space. You're so far beyond our most incredible mind of understanding you. And we ask you to cause us to hunger, create within us a fresh appetite 
I must know him. I must know his voice. I must know his voice. Mm. Give us courage. Give us faith to believe that. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm. Wow. And so, you pray a prayer like that, and you can't really pray that without, in the same breath, realizing that you're probably going to have to give up a couple things in order for that to happen. Come on. Can we just be real? I mean, there's some things that have to change probably in the way we're doing life right now, in your lifestyle, in, in your expectations, your goals, the way you just move about every day, the things you spend your time on, and things have to change. So, look at this. First Kings chapter 19, verse 19, there's a guy... I just want to read it. Well, let me just read this, and then we'll just talk about it for just a few moments, then we'll go home. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him. He threw his cloak around him. And Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and, and then I'll, and I'll come with you. All right, go, go back, Elijah replied. What, what have I done to you? So Elijah left him and went back and took his yoke of oxen. He slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah. And many, I add, for the next 18 years. Be, and became his servant. Became his servant. So let's just step back and just kind of unpack this, this little passage for just a moment. Because I think it's significant of what we're talking about. Elisha is plowing a field with a yoke of oxen. Oxen in those days is, I mean, everybody, you have to, if you, it was an agricultural community that they lived in for the most part. And, and you couldn't be a farmer, you couldn't make a living if you didn't have an oxen. You had to have an oxen. Everybody had to have an oxen. That was the one that did all, that was the animal that did all the heavy lifting. It's the one that helped you plant the crops. It was the, the beast that allowed you to uh, strap a wagon to it and carry your harvest to, uh, to the city. It was the beast that allowed you to grind the grain, you know, and it did all the work for you. You couldn't be anything if you didn't have an oxen. Everybody had to have an oxen. You, and so it was standard. You had an oxen. You, that, that's what I have. I have. You have a car and that gets you where you're going. And that's just standard right where we live right now. And you had to have an oxen. If you didn't have an oxen, it was hard to live. And, uh, but, 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 but Elisha is, is working on this farm with his, for his dad and he's uh, got the 12th yoke of oxen going on here. So uh, a yoke is two, so there's two times 12. So there's 24 oxen in this field and he's being the last 
uh, means something very significant because it tells us that being the last, he's the one in charge of everybody in front. So, so basically what we're seeing from this little tiny passage is that he's the son of Shaphat. He works for Shaphat and Sons Incorporated. They have a big farming community industry going on here. And every oxen is worth a tractor. If you can imagine uh, two tractors, that's awesome. And if you can imagine 24 tractors uh, in your barn, you are a you are a stinking millionaire farmer. You're not just a one little little farmer over. You Shafat, oh Shafat, oh Shafat's got the farm, man. That's the that's like you know Jr's ranch out in Texas. I mean he's got he's got he's got the thing going. He's got the machine. It's, it's like having 24 combines parked out back behind your house. So I, I come from the Midwest, and when it comes to wheat fields and and time to harvest wheat fields, they, they line those combines up back to back, and they just go through those fields and they cut those things down. If you had 24 combines baby, you were a you were a multimillionaire machine of agricultural business, and and here's the and so we find and believe that Elisha was was working for his dad, being groomed by his father to take his dad's business. At some point, he's in charge of the workers in the field. They got an operation going; things are going well. He's got his 401k set up. He's already got his own house. He's probably got you know everything set up to have a beautiful wife one day and move into the house and eventually take over his dad business. Uh, he's got relationships in town. He's got people behind him. Everybody wants to be his friend. Everybody knows he's Shea Fat's son. He's the dude. He's the Time Magazine. Come on, GQ guy of the community. He's like, everybody wants to be this guy's friend. And, uh, and, and here's Elisha. He's got it going and he's plowing and he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, doing his dad's business. Uh, and then it's one day out of the blue, down the road comes walking this gray haired, steely eyed, deep wrinkled face chiseled out like it should be on Mount Rushmore, walks up to him with no sense of humor at all. He walks up to him like almost like he's aggravated. Listen, prophets in the Old Testament were not like the kindest guys around. You know what I'm saying? No one liked him. They had no friends. <laughs> and and they were always like, you know, times, times were tough. And, and so Elijah walks up to this guy in obedience to the Lord and doing exactly what God told him to do and just kind of stares at him. I mean, can you imagine Elisha? And now Elisha, I believe, knows who this guy is. Everybody, listen, he was the prophet of the nation. Everybody knew who Elijah was. Elijah was like this dude, like when he says, hey, by the way, it's not going to rain until I say it's not going to rain. Guess what? It didn't rain until he says it rained. I mean, this dude, he was, he was a God power machine on two legs. You don't mess with this guy. Or you call him, they call some kids called him bald one day, made fun of him, disrespect him, dishonored him. And out of the woods come some bears and eat up the kids. I don't like that story, but that's what the Bible says. I'm just telling you Bible. Don't mess with the prophet unless you know how to handle bears. I know I don't have a lot of hair, but you better be careful what, I, what you say about my hair. I'm kidding. I'm playing. He's playing. See, so he walks up to this guy, Elisha, and he just stares at him. And they have this moment, you know? And all of a sudden, the prophet takes his coat off. This is the Bible. You can read it. I mean, just read it. That's what he does. And he walks off. 
Like, seriously? What's up, uh, what's up with all that? <laughs> but Elisha knew exactly what that meant. Because that, that was not just a jacket, that was the mantle. That was, the, that was the, in a sense, the, the anointing and the authority of the prophet that he took off of his shoulders and he threw it at, at Elisha. What he was basically was saying was, I'm giving you an opportunity of a lifetime, son. I didn't come to anybody else, but I came to you. I came to this plow, to this yoke of oxen, into this field under the command of God, and I'm giving you an opportunity to do something and enter into a realm that only a few people could ever enter if you want it. Out of here. I'm not going to beg you. I'm not going to give you some cash. I'm not going to give you some credit cards. I'm not going to promise you a nice car to rent for a while while you follow me around. I'm not going to come around and coddle you and I'm not trying to convince you. Something. I don't have a salary to give you. I don't have a title to give you. I don't have an office to give you. I don't have squat to give you other than a relationship with a God that you'll never dream possible unless you follow me. And he walks away. And Elisha's like, oh. Have you ever had those moments where you're like, wow, I got to think about this for a minute. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever had those moments? And Elisha's like, now I see all of his friends, all of his co-workers, and the ones that he's employed, that he's hired, that and some of them are his friends he grew up with, and they're looking, and they're stopped. They got their oxen, their oxen just like, you know, they're just like hanging out, and their tails are going back and forth, and they got, but the guy's are like, did you see? I said, Elijah threw his mantle on, on Elisha. And Elisha's just standing there in this field. He has this decision to make. Am I going to follow the man of God? But I got, my, what about my house? And what about, what about, what about that girl I've been dating? She's kind of sweet. And, and, and you know, what, what am I going to tell her? And what about mom and dad? And what, oh my gosh. And what about, what, what about the business? And how's dad going to do the business without me? He's been grooming. All, oh my, he's got all these things, blah, 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 running through his head. And, but, but there's, there's the, there's the future and it's, it's getting, it's getting out of sight. He's walking away. He's, he's getting out of his, his perception, his, his, his view. What am I, what am I going to do? Time's ticking. Let me just tell you, just because you have an opportunity now doesn't mean you're going to have an opportunity 60 months from now. Everything has a time frame and baby, you better catch it when you can get it. And you better make the right decision when you got the opportunity. And you better think about this when you make that decision. Is it going to be a spiritual decision or is it going to be a materialistic decision? Because in the end, uh, everything that you've worked for in the material world is going to rust and you won't take a one dime with you. But in the end of the game, you're going to take everything with you that you work for in the sphere. Come on, somebody. You better figure this out. But I kind of have a hunch in my spirit that when Elisha was plowing through that field, I'm believing this is kind of what was going on in his heart. God, I'm thankful for these oxen. I enjoy looking at these oxen's rears every day. 
I love smelling those things. And I love getting my feet all soiled and messed up. And I love the sweat that rolls off my head and the hard work you've given me to do. And I'm thankful for my dad. I'm thankful for the family. I'm like, thank you for my heritage. I, I, I'm grateful. God, I don't have nothing to, tell, to, to be ashamed of. I'm not bad-mouthing. God, I'm grateful for every little thing you've given me. But God, there's something inside of me that says I was made for more than this. I, I don't know how to explain it. No one will understand it. There's something inside of me that says I got to have more than just plowing along in a field behind a stinking ox's rear end. I, I got to have more, God. Got to have more. Hmm. And when that mantle, see, the only reason God would have ever directed Elijah to Elisha was because there was already a cry going on in the man's heart to begin with. God's got to have something to work with. You got to give him a cry. You got to give him a prayer. You got to separate yourself a little bit. You got to show him you're serious. And when you show God you're serious and he hears the faintest cry going on in your heart, I'm telling you, he'll send the prophet of prophets your way if he has to. He'll call you out by name. He'll throw the mantle upon your shoulders and he will invite you into a journey that you've always dreamed that could be but never thought possible. He'll do it for you. Oh, and so Elisha follows along behind, and he runs up back, he catches Elisha, he goes, hey, hey, hey before you get out of sight, I, I made up my mind, yeah, I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming. Can I, can I just say bye to mom and dad? Can I, can I just kind of tie some hands up? Can I? And it's like, Elijah's almost like, like upset, he's like, what have I had to do with you? And walks on. This is a, you're leaving a good business to follow a rude, mean prophet. <laughs> is this what you want to do? Basically, what Elijah was saying is, he's saying, look, son, I've done everything God's told me to do. Everything's on your shoulders now. I, 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 can't, I can't baby you along in life. You got to make up your own mind, son. All right. I'll be back. Grabs the knife, tush, I mean, into his two favorite oxen, man. <sighs> oxen. I don't know if you've ever seen an oxen bled out, but I've seen one down in South America. It's not a pretty sight. He bleeds these things out. He sacrifices. He gets all the meat. They burn the plows. He makes a little party real quick. He goes, guys, I got to go. It's been nice knowing you. Don't know when I'll see you again, but I'm chasing after the call of God on my life. I'm chasing after the mantle. I'm chasing after the anointing. I'm chasing after the man of God. I got to go. Adios. Elijah, wait! And into a journey that we read about today. We would have never read about him had he said, uh, nah, I'm good. You would have never heard about Elisha. You wouldn't read about him. You would, people's lives would have not been touched, changed, transformed. <laughs> and what did he go to do? What, you know, here's, here's, the, here's the funny thing about this. I mean, it's not like Elijah said, look, dude, if you, call, if you follow me, we're going to be in front of stadiums of people. We're going to be on television. We'll have our own TV network. We're going we're to transform the world, son. No, the only thing you read about Elisha from that point on is he followed Elijah and washed his hands for 18 years. 
Oh, excuse me, sir. Time for some more. <laughs> you good, Elijah? Come on. All right, got to wash the hands. Woo. Puts it back in his fanny pack. Where are we going now? <laughs> Falls. 18 years follows Elijah around. Time to wash the hands, son. Uh, sir. Okay. All right, good. Got to wash. Got to wash. Got to wash those hands, Mr. Elijah. He was the. I mean, 18, 18, can I say it again? 18 years. I mean, if you said, JP, God's hand is upon me, and I think his hands could be upon you, I'd like for you to serve me. Yes, sir, what would you like me to do? I want you to just kind of follow me around, put some hand sanitizer on my hands every couple hours. I, I, I might do that for a day or two. I'm not sure I'm your guy. Come on now. I'm, maybe you got the wrong guy. I think I was made for more than this. I was plowing, you know. I was uh, about to inherit my dad's business. I mean, you know, I mean, he had all these opportunities in his mind to go to. God, hello. Do you know? Hello, this is Elisha, man. I'm like GQ guy, Time Magazine. I'm the guy. <laughs> and, 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 and this is what I do all day long. You want some more hand aside? Hand aside? <laughs> And of course, from time to time, he runs across some of his friends, and now they got their own business and their own marriage. They got their own little children running around. Oh, hi, Elisha. Hey, meet my wife. Ah, yeah, and there's my two kids. Huh? Oh, what you doing now? Oh, uh, you're following around the prophet? What you, what, what's he got you doing? Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, I'll see you at the next school reunion. <laughs> I mean, he, imagine in his mind, he could be thinking, you know what I could be doing right now in my life? You know where I could be? I could have four master degrees by now. I could, I could have a doctor. I could be, have my own practice. I could have my own business. I could have all, and, and, and you don't think, he didn't think of these things, but there's still this thing down and deep inside of him knew that, that, that he was living uh, 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 and, and given an opportunity that no one else could be given. So he followed 18 years, and finally, you know the story, the, finally it's the last day of Elijah's life. And, and God's kind enough to Elisha to reveal it to Elisha and Elijah. Elijah's the old prophet. Elisha's the young prophet. And so they both know this is the last day. And so Elijah's like, dude, look, we got to go down over there. And, and Elisha's like, okay, but the Jordan River's here. What are we going to do about that? And, and if I couldn't have my mantle back for just a second, uh, sir. Just, and so Elijah takes his mantle. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and he wads it up and rolls it up. And he goes, and so just watch this, son. And, and, and Elisha's 18-year relationship, he goes, watch this. And he goes, boom, like that. Hits the Jordan River. The water separates in two. And Elijah says to Elisha, come on, let's go on the other side. And they walk across the other side. This is powerful stuff. This is, this is like everyday stuff for Elijah, you know. And, and, and Elijah puts his, you know, his jacket back on and everything. And he's walking back. And they're walking along. And Elijah goes, hey, son, you know, since this is my last day, You've been a good guy. My hands haven't been cleaner in my whole life in the last 18 years. I've got the cleanest hands. Soft, I've probably got the softest prophetic hands in the world. Thank you. You've been a good young man. Is there anything you like? Almost like an afterlife. Is there anything you like before I leave the earth? I mean, it's almost like Elijah never thought about this kid. You know, just 
Just serve me, serve me, serve me, serve me. He goes, oh, by the way, yes, there is, sir. What would you like? Well, since you asked, yeah, I asked, what, what you want? Sir, I want twice the anointing that you possess. What? <laughs> oh, he goes, ah, that's a hard thing, boy. No, I don't know. And then he says, well, I'll tell you what. If you keep your eyes on me all the way till I'm taken from this earth, we'll see what can happen. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> and they kept walking. Do you think at that point, what do you think Elisha's doing, right? Elisha probably grabs Elijah's arm, locks his eyes in the side of his ear, <laughs> and stay, won't take his eyes off of him. <laughs> Finally, they were so, God can't take Elijah away because Elisha's clinging to him and staring at him. God has to send Air Force One <laughs> chariots of fire in between them, separate them, so God could take just a few moments and escape Elijah into the heavens through a whirlwind. And, and suddenly, this happens like this, you know, you jump out of the way too if a chariot of fire comes screaming down at you. So he jumps away, let's go, but he keeps his eyes on Elijah. Elijah goes up, he cries out, my father, my father. And now suddenly the whirlwind, the dust all settles and all that's left uh, laying on the ground was the mantle. The same mantle that he had felt 18 years ago. I don't know about you, but if I was Elisha, I'd be like, and the Bible says he picked up that mantle. The very piece, the only thing left of the great prophet Elijah. And imagine what was going through his mind. Could it be that all these years of sacrifice that I've made is about to play out in my life? Leaving my mom and my dad and the family and the business, and just washing my man's hands. Could it be this is now my time? My time. This is my time. This is my time. And the, the Bible says he ran back to that same river that they had crossed earlier in the day. And I can imagine him taking the mantle of, of Elijah and running to the river saying, It's my time. 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 And the Bible says he gets to the River Jordan, and just like Elijah had gone and done before, he screams and goes, Where's now the prophet, the power of God? Where's my Lord now? And suddenly the Jordan River separated into just like it had done with Elijah a few hours before. It was now his time. Woo! Come on, man. It was his time. You don't get your time 
without a sacrifice. You don't get your time without days and weeks and months of sometimes wondering, is this all there is of life? Just serving God, going to a small group, going to worship practice, witnessing to my neighbors, being kind to people that hate me, being generous to those that are stingy. Is this all there is to life? Let me tell you something. You keep doing the monotonous things over and over and over and over and over and over again. There will be your time coming. I promise you. Worship team wants you to come. I don't even know why I make a little sermon inserts for you guys. We never even get anywhere. <laughs> Didn't even get to one point. But here's a question I have for you. Here's the question. Here's the question. In fact, you can write this down. It's not in your notes, but just write it down. What are you willing to do to become all that God has called you to be? Mm. What are you willing to do in order to become all that God has called you to be? Are you happy with your life now? Is the rest of your life just about coasting and taking it easy? And, or is there a part of you that dares to believe that your time hasn't come yet, that there's something still down deep in the cellar that has yet to be made manifest to the world? Is there something inside of you that says, I still haven't touched the presence of God to the degree I know I can touch? Is there still something inside of you that says, I have not become the person I know God's called me to become? Is there something inside of you that says, there's got to be more for God, for me to have in God? Is there something inside you, and only you can answer that question, is there something inside you that says, there must be more? Can I tell you, my friend, there is. There will always be more. There will always be more. There's more ways to be used by God. There's more spiritual gifts for you to operate in. There's more ways to hear the voice of God. There's more ways to make impact in this community. There is always more. So our cry is, God, I just want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. I just want more. I want more. I want more of you, God. This morning, is there something inside of you that says, you know, I, I know there's more. Mm. I believe this morning you need to make an action we're going to dismiss everybody here in just a moment. I, I truly believe you. there are times in our life like Elisha had with Elijah where you just got to make a move. You got to make a move in the right direction. And for some of you this morning, that move might be, I just need to know Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior. I, I just need to cut off the cut off the ties. I just got to give my life. I need to surrender my life. For some of you, it's just, you know what? I just need someone to agree with me. I need prayer. I, I need 
I need to move off center. I, I got to start moving in another direction. Mm. And that's what we want to do. We want to pray with you this morning about that stuff. But before we leave, let me just say one prayer with all of us. And if it has resonated in your heart, anything today that said, man, if I've heard anything, I've heard this, I need to hunger for more of God. If that's you, would you just join me and raise your hands to the Lord this morning? Father, you see our hands. Father, I don't even know why you would want someone like us, just some smelly, sweaty people out in the middle of a field. Sometimes I know in my heart you see something in us we don't see. And so we're grateful for the mantle. We're grateful for the calling. We're grateful for the anointing. And we ask you, Lord God, today to increase, Lord God, the hunger within our lives for you and cause the world's ties upon our lives to begin to dissipate and fall away. Cause us, Lord, to be locked in and focused in you and on you. And let us grow and set us free to be the man and the women we've called to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I just say this one last thing and then we're going to give God a shout and leave it. Here's the last thing. So Elisha said, I want a double portion, Elijah, sir, Mr. Prophet. And he says, okay, can I just say this? Here's the good news. Elijah did seven major miracles recorded in the Bible. But by the time Elisha was done with his ministry, we have recorded 14 major miracles in his ministry, the twice, the amount, the double portion. Can I tell you, it's available for you too. Amen? It's available for you too. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to visit us online at summitchurch.tv or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at summitchurch.tv.